Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining Intellicast. It's season three, episode 22. And today I'm joined by producer Brian and Andrew DeSillis. Hey, guys, how you doing? Hey, how are you? Good morning. Living the Good. dream. Good morning. And this is Brian Lamar. We all work here at our um, sponsor of the podcast, EMI Research Solutions. You can reach us at Intellicast at EMI-RS.com. Follow us on Twitter, EMI underscore research, Intellicast1 on Twitter, and you can call and leave us a text. And I'm surprised at the low amount of prank texts that we get. Love to hear from you at 513-401-5463. Let's get right into it, Brian and Andrew. Um, we have a guest at the end of the episode today. It's uh, Alita Hines. It's someone um, I went to college with, and she's been in marketing research for over 20 years, and, I, and um, she's looking for work, I think, and um, she kind of does her own thing, so she's always looking for new clients, but I've known her for over 20 years, and I think the interview is good, and I think other than that, we're going to talk about news and COVID stuff, right? Yeah, before we jump into that, uh, with the Alita interview, it's just a continuation from our last interview where we had Tyler and Lincoln and Susie on. We had some really good feedback on that, and people very appreciative that we were doing that. So this is just a continuation. Put it out there that if anyone does want to hop on, use our platform to promote themselves, please just reach out to us. Great point. Um, what should we talk about first, Brian? What do you think? Uh, do you want to touch on a couple, the, I guess, current events first, just to touch it off? And mainly the big one is that some of the some of states are starting to open back up, including Ohio. Yes. Um, I have strong views on this, on states opening up. And Andrew, I bet we agree on that. And um, um, I don't even know how, what to say. Um, yeah, the states are starting to open up, especially in the South, right? And then... So that's kind of a test case. And the Midwest, we're opening up a little slower. Um, and then I guess the coast will be last to open up. Andrew DeSillis, I'm going to go to you. How do you feel about this? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, everyone is obviously breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief that we, we being in quotes, are also, quote unquote, reopening. Um, and I think, you know, to even have a conversation around what's happening and what that means, it's important to look at exactly what is happening in each state, um, you know, because you had mentioned, hey, Ohio is reopening. Um, but if you look at what's going on in Ohio compared to, you know, say, Texas or Georgia, um, and then certainly compared to coastal states, you know, places like California, New York, that are not really reopening at all. Um, it's very different, right? You know, when, when Ohio says they're reopening, but it's only some businesses and only some ways, um, you know, it, it doesn't feel like really reopening to me, um, you know, and there are a lot of businesses that, you know, and, and for me, hey, let's get personal, you know, uh, here in Kentucky, um, you know, daycares were closed. And that's something that, you know, I have two really little boys, and they both go to daycare. And, you know, there's no word on whether or not that's even part of the plan. Um, whereas in, you know, 
Texas and Georgia, restaurants, retailers, malls, all of those things are going to be opening, you know, if not Friday, then next week um, with certain restrictions in place. Um, and I think that that's much more of a true reopening than sort of phasing in, you know, in Ohio, I think our first step is um, elective or um, non-life-threatening surgeries. Okay. I'm not sure why we ever stopped that in the first place. I mean, I, I know why we did, but you know, that is kind of like, Hey, we're reopening. You can do this is kind of half-hearted to me. Um, so, so back to the Bryans then, what are your thoughts on, you know, what, what constitutes really reopening? What are your thoughts on, you know, how the restrictions that are in place on these businesses is that really going to be effective um you know and if we want to get really into it i mean i think some of the it it merits a little bit of discussion around you know people being able to go back to work but maybe not wanting to how does that affect people who are receiving unemployment if you're a small business owner with unemployment insurance you know what there's so much to unpack and i just went on a rant but let let's dive into it because i'm sure this is the main thing that everyone is thinking about right now oh want me to go first brian go for it i know where you stand on this yeah yeah so here's how i here's why i think about it we have a pandemic we don't really have a we don't have a cure for at least 12 to 18 months if we ever have one. Not really a treatment, right? Um, we're still investigating dozens of treatments. Um, but having said that, we if we let healthcare professionals run the country, we wouldn't ever have any, you know, sugar items and you know who knows what our life would be like. And that's one of the beauties of our country is that we have kind of freedom to make our own choices, which makes our country more obese than others and all kinds of other societal challenges. Um, And the goal, I feel like the goal of all of this quarantining has been to flatten the curve, right? That's what we said for a long time. Let's flatten the curve. Let's all do our part. We're all in this together. And we don't, reason we did that is because we didn't want to overwhelm the healthcare system, which I completely get, Right. I looked at those models, and if we overwhelm the healthcare system, which we came somewhat close, I think, in New York, and we saw in Italy and other places, it probably did break. Um, and I think we did flatten the curve. And one of the other things we wanted to do was we wanted to be better prepared for it, right? And so that was getting the PPE equipment and getting masks and getting ventilators and getting the healthcare systems prepared for it. But having said all that, I think we've flattened the curve, and now we have we have to balance the other societal problems with the pandemic, and that is led by unemployment, and that's just one of the problems, um, which I think we're going to get close to probably 20% unemployment, which that's a huge problem, which causes all kinds of other problems, including, you know, um, probably increased crime and drug use, and mental health is something that we haven't even begun to really think about as a society. Um, I think a lot of the healthcare stuff that is starting to open up now, but it's been a problem is that a lot of people I've, I saw the other day, I don't know if this is true, but I saw that approximately half of cancer patients haven't gotten, have skipped chemo. We're not doing biopsies. Other problems include like lack of socialization of children, um, and things like that. So I think in my opinion, as a society, we need to open as fast as possible. And I think we can do that 
using the same social distancing methods. And we can figure it out. And I think Georgia is trying to do it um, by – and you know, a lot of business – I'm not saying force people to open, but if a small business owner wants to open, they should be able to do that as long as they have um, protections in place for their employees and um, customers. So that's a long-winded saying. I, I think we need to open as soon as possible because I'm not sure if we can recover if we're closed for another month. And so that that was a long way of saying that. And Brian, how do you feel about that? So I'm going to differ from the two of you. Uh, I'll start with the mental health piece. My wife works in mental health and they've transitioned a lot to telehealth and things like that. But she is literally, as we are recording this on a call right now to figure out how to get her offices back open in the next 15 days. And it's nothing to the point of, okay. And that's, still a fast timeline because it's, as you mentioned, the protections for the employees and then all of the clients that come in. And that's why they not even sure if in the next 15 days, they're going to be able to have everything in place that they need. So it's, I think that is still opening as quickly as they can. They have to get thermometers in each of the locations. They have to have masks, not only for the staff, but for clients who come in. So there's that component as well. And that's where I kind of see, like particularly in Ohio, where it's that staged approach because everyone is ordering this stuff and it's hard to find. It's, I think part of it is giving that supply chain time to get it in. So I get that. There's, there's, that's why I think I'd li- I like the staged approach that's okay. We talk about the going in that we flatten the curve, and I agree. I will give Mike DeWine a ton of credit. Ohio looks great compared to some other states where particularly that state up north, which has <laughs> like double what we have. Right. Um, you're looking at it because I was I've I have been less tuning into the press conferences. I'll stay for the first 15 minutes, get his little update, and then I kind of turn it off and get about it where at the beginning of this, you and I were on both discuss, talked about how we watched the whole thing every day. But we're we've been sitting in that sixteen thousand number for like the last three days now it is going up just by like a less than 200 or so like yesterday so we have definitely flattened the curve we're prepared for that it's just as businesses get these guidelines in place i don't think it's a turn everything open back up in two days i think there there's time that has to be in place i mean if these guidelines were out at the beginning of this pandemic and you said all right we had to close for this but when you're ready to open, here's the guidelines. We had those right. back in March. I'm fine. Turn it, open it all back up tomorrow. Yeah. But because the guidelines just came out today as we're recording is Wednesday. Um, they came out on Monday and a lot of places they are coming out in just the last couple of days. It just takes time to figure out, all right, what are we going to do for this? There are, I agree. There are some businesses that you could probably open. I think some of the smaller restaurants and things or smaller businesses probably could because they can quickly adapt. Hey, I've got masks. I've got, I've got gloves. We've got the hand sanitizer. We can keep the distance because we have to limit it to 50% of people in the, in my, in my retail store. Well, that my two employees, I'm good. I think that's the case. I do think there's some other issues with like going back to actually sit in restaurants, yeah, movie theaters, that kind of stuff is sporting events. That's a, that's a ways off if we ever get back to it this year. And I hate to say yeah. that because oh, I, I love going to movies. 
I love going to, I have Kings Island passes, which I think are just going to not get used this year at all. Cause I don't see how they are going to be able to reopen unless they can, oh, they have to no limit way. the number of people. And at that point, what's the point? Cause it's going to cost them more to open than it will be just to stay closed. Yeah. So um, that's where my case is. I get the staged. That's my long winded way of saying I get the staged approach. I think the reason is that you're not opening it up completely is to give the businesses time to get to meet those guidelines. Cause what they don't want to do is get their employees sick or us spike back up and have to shut everything down again. Cause that's going to be a thousand times worse than going slow. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll make a quick point and then Andrew, I want to hear from you. Um, I think one of the big challenges I have with what we're doing now is that the kind of the winners in all this are the Walmarts, the Amazons, the targets. And if I can go to a Walmart or a home Depot right now, why can't I go to a lot of other small businesses um, instead of a national chain? And that's, that's the bigger, I think that's the, one of the bigger problems I have with it. Andrew, what are your thoughts on what we just said for the last five minutes? <laughs> Oh, well, don't worry. I have lots of thoughts. Um, well, yeah, to, to start out, I mean, um, producer Brian, you know, you're absolutely right that this has to be staged, um, not only to give people the opportunity to prepare, uh, but also in that there will be restrictions around that preparation and in, in what things look like. Um, you know, it, 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 it I like to believe in the American people. I would hope that, you know, if we say, hey, everything is wide open, um, but act responsibly, that most people would. Um, you know, this, this virus is still out here. Um, you know, whenever we have a, a bad flu season or something, I hope that most people are taking precautions, um, you know, socially distancing anyway, if they're at risk. And it's not totally uncommon to see someone wearing a mask in public during a normal right. flu season. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's unfortunate that we live in a day and age where we have to, you know, through governance enforce that people are doing things like this. And I think many businesses would do it on their own. Um, but nonetheless, you know, it is prudent to say, you know, okay, we, we need masks, we need temperature checks on employees, um, yep. you know, to say to businesses like ours, you know, hey, look, if you guys can really be remote at the drop of a hat, Please don't go in. Um, you know, and in, in, in our owner, Mike Holmes, told us this morning that the soonest we'll be going back is June 1st, um, maybe later, maybe in stages from there. And, you know, I think that, that businesses like ours should certainly do that. Um, you know, one of the things, though, that I have a little bit of trepidation about, specifically around restaurants that tend to be, or not restaurants, businesses, um, like restaurants that you know, the capacity of their actual facility um, plays a role into the volume of transactions that they're able to do and that operate on thin profit margins, right? Because, you know, I saw in Texas, um, if you are in a uh, well-populated area, I'm not sure whether it's a district or a county or, or how they're currently mandating that, um, you'll only be able to open to 25% of your normal capacity, um, whether that's quote unquote normal or that's, you know, fire marshal. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but you know, let's say, you know, you're, you're a small mom and pop restaurant. Um, you know, you've got 16 tables um, and 
you know, that's enough to keep you afloat. You're always busy. Um, you know, think about like a small restaurant in OTR here in Cincinnati, like Bakersfield, right? You know, they probably have a dozen tables. They can probably see 20 to 30 people. Well, now all of a sudden, you know, you're limiting that to, hey, you, you guys can only have 10 people in here at a time. Um, but in order to service those 10 people, you've got to have the dishwasher, the hostess, the bartender, the waitress. Um, you know, you have to order enough food to be able to make all the items on your menu or not. Um, but, you know, it is opening with that kind of restriction. Um, you know, it, it, are those businesses going to be successful? Is it better for them to be just closed and receiving stimulus and, you know, cashing in on unemployment insurance and, you know, for their employees to be able to um, receive unemployment? You know, because if my business has to reopen and I'm only allowed to operate at 25 percent capacity, well, it would stand to reason that you're only going to be able to reemploy 25 percent of those people. Right. Um, and so that's, you know, something that uh, I just think we all need to, you know, to keep in mind. And, you know, I hope to see businesses like um, hair salons, tattoo parlors, beauty parlors, you know, things like that, even operating perhaps at lower capacity. Um, yeah. You know, I think they might do a little bit better. I think restaurants might actually be hurt by this. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. But it's just something to keep in mind. Um, and then your last point. I will do my best not to get sort of political here, but you know, talking about you know, who are the winners here and who are the losers. Um, it's something that you know happens a lot here in America. Um, whenever we have something like this, you know, big business does hold massive sway, um, both in the government and in the economy. Of course they do. Um, and, and, you know, it, I would have liked to have seen, more discretion around what was closed and what was not and around what um who, who received stimulus and who did not because i know that there was a lot of issue around you know the cares act small business stimulus and you know that, that most of that money went to larger banks um in, rather than small regional banks, where many small businesses choose to do their banking business um, because of lower fees and because they're able to have higher levels of service, um, that they did not receive those funds. I know that many banks, you know, were not taking on any new clients because of the speed at which they needed to approve those stimulus loans or the stimulus packages, depending on what they were, um, because they already knew all of the credit of their existing customers. Um, and so there were a lot of people who were, you know, sort of proverbial left proverbially left out in the rain um, yeah. by this and, and, and who did not receive any funds. Um, and, you know, could we have done better? Maybe. I mean, this is the largest bureaucratic and economic undertaking probably in the history of the entire world, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so it's kind of an unfortunate reality. Um, and I think, too, that, you know, while in sort of a, a romantic sense, you know, I would absolutely side with, with you, Brian, that, you know, we, we shouldn't be having, um, you know, the small businesses and the American entrepreneur that's truly, you know, not only the, the backbone of our economy, if you will, but sort of the heart of the American dream, right? You know, we don't want those people to be getting the short end of the stick here. At the same time, too, you know, when we say, you know, 
well, well, Walmart is doing really great. Is that really fair? You know, we also have to think about that, you know, Walmart is one of the largest employers in the entire world. Um, and so we certainly want them to be doing great. Um, so yes, that's, that's kind of my take on, on those issues. Um, you know, it's, it's a bit of a, it's an economic, political and ethical quagmire. Um, And, and so I think that, you know, if we can all just do our best to be critical in our information gathering and critical in our information processing, um, and then kind in understanding in our actions, um, in discussions moving forward. I hope we will all be okay. Um, you know, the small businesses and the entrepreneurs innovative and agile by necessity and by nature. So I think that, you know, hopefully we will, uh, we'll see a rebound there sort of regardless of how this plays out, um, from a governmental perspective. Awesome. Um, go ahead, Brian, and we probably should move on. Yeah, I th- just one last thing. I agree with your small business piece, but I want to make one last statement of go support your local business. I know yeah. here we have Absolutely. been ordering, we've only been ordering from local restaurants, um, doubling the normal amount of tip we give, that kind of stuff, just to d- try to do what we can. So, yes, well said, Brian. Um, we could probably talk about this all day. I'd love to hear feedback from you guys. Do you agree with us, disagree with us? So, is there something we should have talked about that we, um, didn't and um, you know we're all just kind of guessing here, right? We're doing we know our government officials, regardless of party, doing the best they can and trying to navigate this as best as possible. So you know it's by the time you're listening, this is probably May, and so we're hopefully on the getting on the stronger side of this, right? Let's right. move on to something else, Brian. All right, you want to let's touch on some market research news. Uh, first up, uh, Scent and P two have had have finalized their platform combinations. So they have. Ne- this means that they have now com- completed the integration of the two firms. Yeah, my only comment here is I, I wasn't even aware they hadn't done it yet. And also, it's very quick. Like, they moved really quickly. Um, they just bought P2, was it August last year? And um, so that feels really quick to me. So kudos to them. And at their core, you know, they're both technology companies. Um, and so I think it's kind of a match made in heaven, if you will. Um, you know, I know that you guys probably talked about that on previous episodes, but um, I'm not surprised by how fast it was. Um, you know, that, that that's what they do. It, it's the heart of it, what both those organizations do. And, you know, for people who are their clients, I certainly think it's a um, it's an exciting merger and, and good to hear that that rather large box has been checked. Yep. Yeah. Our next one is FlexMR has added video focus groups to its Insight platform in response to increased demand for online qualitative services. My only comment on this is no kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Good for them getting that out there. But, um, you know, that's a whole nother topic. We do an episode on online qualitative. So good for them to getting that out there. And, you know, we'll see how big that shift is, uh, you know, in the midterm. All right. Um, The next two, uh, we have some more um, financial releases, a little bit different from what we heard from YouGov on our last episode. Um, First up is Ipsos has posted their Q1 revenue posted a Q1 revenue growth of 1.6%, but said that for this upcoming quarter, 
they had their order book take a significant hit. So it seems like they are going to have some downturn coming up in Q2. And then also System 1 warns of a lower profit for 2019-2020, mainly because of the adverse effect from the pandemic. Yeah, I'm not sure how much to say here other than, you know, always it's hard to to evaluate these earnings for these large companies like Gipsos, given how much, you know, they kind of acquire companies. And I think they mentioned in the release, they acquired a couple of companies. Um, it's certainly not surprising that they mentioned the Q2 slow. And so I think the real key is going to be once we get Q2 <laughs> releases. And so it's hard to even think about that right now, to be honest with you. Right. We all we all kind of guessed at the beginning of this Q2 was it wasn't going to look great. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, in our last story, um, the Insights Association put up some of their latest results from their study they have been running. Um, these results were from April 6th and 7th. And it found that 84% of full-service market research firms and 83% of data collections agencies have reported sales pipeline drops. Yeah, so if you've attended the Insights Association webinars, they do them each Friday. They've been fantastic. So kudos to them to having one every week. And um, I was part of the second survey, I think. So um, it's what's interesting to me is that the closer you are to who spends the money, the more positive you are. And so the brands are the least likely to say there's going to be a cut. And then the full service companies are the next most likely to say there's going to be a cut. And then the sample companies are like, oh, everything's going to be cut, right? And so um, I'm hoping people stay positive. I know that you know most of us have had at least some sort of drop in, in research, and hopefully that's staying within a reasonable amount. But I'd like to see the next version of the survey when it comes out because – I don't know. It's April sixth and seventh. Seems like forever ago, right? It's like it's like data has to move so fast nowadays, right? Well, and it's interesting too. I think to note that you know the optimism is kind of inverted from where we sit along the flow of revenue, right? That you know changing consumer behavior and direct impact from the shutdown um, is obviously going to affect brands and businesses first. Um, who then are contracting and affecting full-service market research. And then last, that comes to you know, to our world in data collection. Um, it, I, I don't have an answer as to why, but I think it's very interesting that the optimism is kind of inverted, um, you know, that the sort of front lines of the economic impact on market research, you know, they remain optimistic, and then us downriver are kind of, you know, waiting for the other shoe to fall. Um so right. I, I found that that study was was really interesting, um, and I'm not surprised that you know a high number of people are are showing some sort of drop in revenue. And I think, like you said, waiting until Q2, another 30 days, maybe another 60 days, to see how much constriction is due to uncertainty, economic uncertainty in the market. Um, you know, everyone is bracing to see how this will fall out. Um, versus actual decrease in funds and actual direct economic impact. Um, you know, only time will tell, and both are certainly in play. Right. Well, any other news, Brian? 
that is all the news we have, but that kind of brings us into our next topic, and it ties in with that Insights Association study, and um, what are we kind of seeing within the industry? And Andrew, you are probably the closest one of the three of us here to the ground. What are you kind of seeing out there? Does it fall in line with what the Insights Association is finding? Is it a little different? What's going on? Yeah, so... um for those of you who don't know, I work in client services and business development in EMI. So I do deal with all of our clients directly and, you know, I do a fair amount of bidding and fieldwork execution, things like that. Um, you know, and, and I would say it's, it's really interesting because of course there are some industries, um, you know, uh, airlines, um, restaurant, um, you know, uh, events, right. So anything related to like sports teams, um, or advertising around you know, sporting events or things like that, um, that we've certainly seen constriction there. But optimistically, you know, we've also seen a large amount of research being done about the current situation, right? You know, that people who ha are fortunate enough to have the financial ability to do so are investing in research to learn about how this is affecting and how this will affect consumer behavior. Um, and, and I'm optimistic that, you know, coming out of this as well, you know, the world is going to look different. Consumer behavior will be different. I read an article that, you know, and obviously this is, um, you know, something that is, affected by the fact that we're currently locked down, but that somewhere between 30 and 40% of all purchases that had typically been made in stores are now online. Um, and while we certainly, you know, have seen this trend, I think that this lockdown will probably have permanently accelerated that trajectory by an order of magnitude, you know, yeah. With the old trend, you know, we might be five, ten years ahead of the amount of purchases that will be happening online. Um, so for our industry specifically right now, yes, it looks tight. You know, the COVID research is certainly not replacing all of the research that's had to be paused or canceled or delayed um, because of the lockdown and because of the economic restriction there. But. I'm hopeful that when we come out of this, research is going to be more important than ever before. Yeah, I completely agree. That's that's a really good view, um, point of view there, Andrew. I will say that in some ways EMI is fortunate that we have a very broad um, client base. You know, we don't focus on this particular niche. We do global work, and so that helps us um, have a good portfolio of clients. We do consumer work, B2B, um, healthcare, and, you know, some of those, some of our clients, you know, wide variety of industries. And some of those clients have, have, you know, either put research on pause or canceled it. But I think a diverse portfolio for us has been really a key to maintaining most of our core business. Um, so that's awesome. And back to your other point about, you know, changes in attitudes and behaviors are permanent. And so now such an opportunity to kind of measure, start to begin to measure those changes in attitudes and behaviors that, you know, we're, many people are just forced to buy things online that probably never bought things online before. And so if those online companies like Amazon or, you know, pretty much any retailer that delivers online, if they can deliver 
I mean, that they're going to gain share and they're going to get some loyalty from those types of shoppers. And so it's really a key moment for them. And in some ways, Amazon, you know, they've kind of stopped with the two day. Um, and so I actually, I needed a new phone case the other day. And so I was going to order um, on Amazon like I normally do. And it said like May 15th, which is like two weeks from now. I'm like, man, I can't wait two weeks for a phone case. And so I went to an actual physical target to buy a phone case because of Amazon, which, uh, you know, completely understandably is prioritizing things other than a phone case, right? Um, so there's an opportunity, but also there's probably more challenges. I probably gave too much credit to they're the big winners because Amazon probably has a ton of challenges. You hear in the news about um, problems in their shipping distribution centers, right? Because um, it could be dangerous working there. And so... There's just a lot going on, I think, and it's hard to measure. And I think people hopefully are considering doing research to measure these changes in attitudes and behaviors. With that in mind, Brian and Andrew, we talk about, Andrew, you mentioned that people, you could see a shift with online purchases. Would we, maybe long term, but in the short term, let's take Q, end of Q2, Q3. So we're talking summertime. Are we going to see the brick and mortar stores have a big surge and online go down just because people want to get out of their house? Is that, a, is that a bold question? I think it's a, you know, it's a bold question, but I think it's one that merits asking. Um, you know, I would hope that we see those types of, that type of surge go to small local businesses. I think that, you know, in the age of social media and in the age of facing a, you know, quote unquote, common enemy, you know, I hope that the American public is more energized than ever before to be conscientious in their purchase decisions. And we might see more people going brick and mortar for some of those things in their local area. Um, but, you know, I think as well that people who were ordering things online already, some of them might switch back. But the largest thing that's going to happen here is people who were forced to make purchases online because of this, who were not currently heavy online spenders, now have this new behavior. And, and I'm not convinced that if the delivery of that was satisfactory you know it's hard to argue with the convenience right you know that's why online delivery exists yeah and so i think that it's less of you know like i said it's less of a shift at a baseline of like why people are ordering online obviously if you're forced to that's not true but um you know in more of an acceleration of the adoption of online purchases if that makes sense. So yeah. I think both, both yes and no, horrible answer. Um, <laughs> and I think as well. Way to hedge your bets. Yeah. It, but, but certainly from where we sit today, yes, from today when, when everything is opened up, I think people will go make purchases in person. Um, whether or not that's related to, I need to get the heck out of my house and go to the store. I think that we're going to see consumer behavior continue to be, you know, relatively strongly concentrated to self-isolation and online purchases for you know, three to six months just due to people being worried about the virus. Um, 
I don't know that it being reopened will just make people throw all of that to, to the wind. Yeah. I, Brian, Mar, what are your thoughts, man? Yeah, I agree. And I th- what do they say? Like you develop a new habit after 28 days and I don't know what number day we are in, in this quarantine, but it's way over 28 and we're going to cha- be changing our behavior and have new habits for probably the next, at a minimum, we'll be socially distancing, I would think, for another six months at a minimum, right? And so we'll have completely different habits and behaviors. And I don't know if it'll ever go back to the way it was before. I think um, we'll be shopping more intentionally at a minimum. Many people will be very reluctant to do the, the same things that they used to, Um so I think it's going to dramatically change everything that we do in life. Um, and by the way, you mentioned something. You said, hopefully, that people are buying more locally owned. Um, we certainly are. And by the way, we asked this in a recent survey, and we know about, I think, about 40% of people claim that they are more likely to buy from locally owned shops than they were in the past. And so hopefully that's not just restaurants. Hopefully that kind of goes to other small businesses as well because they certainly need it and that might be a trend that i think is a good trend that um, we start supporting more locally owned businesses um, instead of the kind of more national chains because i think it it's better locally and to your other point i do recognize that you know the walmarts and the targets of the world they hire local people um brian what are your thoughts no i i agree the spending more locally spread your money out don't say oh i just didn't get it all here at walmart Hey, you know what? Maybe you can get that from down the street. Don't, maybe not McDonald's. Maybe it's the local restaurant down the street. We've talked about this. I try, we try to do the local stuff. We haven't ordered from a restaurant six miles, any farther away than six miles from our house. Yeah. (laughs) And they're all local. Like we like, we like the restaurants selection we have in our town. And we realize we have to spend money there if we want to keep that. Cause if we don't, they're not going to be around. So. Well, we're running out of time. We should probably end this thing, right? um, Well, coming up next is our interview with Alita Hines. So hopefully everyone enjoys that. But also, Brian, we had a new report launch. Oh, that's right. By the time you're listening to this, we have our second annual um, landscape report of the sample industry launch, right? So that's a lot of work from you and I. That's our baby. Yes. It is. So, so yeah. yeah. That... Hopefully, hopefully, if you're interested in sampling, you'll download it and learn something. We put a little bit more commentary in it this year than last year. Last year, it was a lot of our research on research, and that still is a lot of it. But this year, um, a little bit more commentary on kind of the state of the industry and what's been happening over the last year. We talk about the mergers and acquisitions and the uh, move towards more API technology and DIY tools and how that's kind of affecting sample. And there's a ton in it, and I would love your feedback on it if you download it. Yeah, and if you want to download it, please check out the show notes. The link will be there. Awesome. Um, so without further ado, let's go. To, by the way, Andrew, thanks for joining, man. Appreciate it. Um, you're an awesome guest as always. Um, let's get to the Alita Hines interview. Joining us now is Alita Hines. Alita, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how have you been? I feel like um, um, I've known you for a little over 20 years, which is kind of crazy to say. Um, how, yeah. how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, we're okay. I'm in Georgia. We're yeah. doing okay and um, safe and healthy. 
Oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, I'll let you introduce yourself, and then I'll probably have a comment after you introduce yourself, because I know you, and um, I tend to have comments. So um, okay. let everybody know how, who you are. Sure. Well, I am Alita Hines. I'm a marketing research professional. Brian and I went to graduate school together at the University of Georgia. Go dogs. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and since then, I've worked with companies you know and companies you will know soon. Um, and have helped them to build stores, build products, and build services, and to reach new customer groups. Okay. And um, I feel like since we went to school 20 years ago, I don't know if you know this, but or remember this, but like if you're a member at Georgia, we often mm -hmm. had speakers, and we um, would have to introduce ourselves. And I feel like I've memorized everybody's background, even to this day. Like I know you went to Stalin College for undergrad. And I know, oh my God. and I know um, all of our classmates where they went to school. And do do you remember? Do you remember that as well? Um, I don't. You have a better memory than me. So yeah, I can do that too. Yeah. So I also went to Spelman College. It's a great school, also in Georgia. I guess I'm a Georgia peach, although I've been here for a couple of years. So yeah, I'm a okay. Georgia peach. Waited from um. Spelman as well, and then went to Georgia. So Alita, how did you get your start in marketing research? Yeah, good question, Brian. So as I mentioned, I also went to Spelman College, and while at Spelman, I studied abroad. And there, I went to Lancaster University in England and took a marketing research class. And I had never heard of it before. And what that class helped me do, A, was to learn about the discipline, and B, to understand what market research could do. In my words, it's connecting the needs of consumers to the needs of businesses to benefit them both. Um, the project I did did the same thing. They helped us build a better product for, at that time, a young adult like me. Um, so the company would be more profitable and the product would need more to young people like me. So after I graduated from Spelman, um, my professor is me to apply to the graduate program as well as my first internship, or actually first job after college, and their recommendations convinced me to go to Georgia, and then I guess the rest is history. From then, I worked from, for great companies like American Greetings, The Home Depot, and I've actually done some projects or actually contracts with great companies like Coca-Cola and Chick-fil-A. Awesome. Those are some brand names I've heard of and am passionate about myself. So what about your skills? Like what, what kind of roles did you have at those companies? How did you help them? Um, you talked about connecting either customers or consumers to the brands. Like how, mm -hmm. what did you do? Yeah, great question. So my, I would call my focus has been on the customer experience. I've done a lot of work in customer satisfaction, attitude and usage and also even the creation of products and services. So I've done concept testing, um, just need analysis. So for instance, when I, I worked at the Home Depot, one of the biggest accomplishments, we'll probably get to that later, was an urban store in Manhattan in Vancouver. And so the qualitative research with potential customers, both on the business side and on the consumer side, and the quantitative work that follows 
help them to build very successful stores, um, and very profitable stores from the uh, from the excuse me from the customers excuse me from the company's view, and a source of pride for me. They're very beautiful and very helpful for those consumer groups. Awesome. You you mentioned Qual. You you've done both Quant and Qual. Yes, I have. I've actually um, helped design, or actually, I've actually even moderated too. I've done moderation for a health and uh, a beauty company, and I've done individual interviews in the financial services field and in the car services field. Awesome. So um, I think I know the answer to this based on what you just said, but how can you kind of help a company now? Like, what what do you think you could bring to a, a company? Yeah, great question. I, as my um, another colleague from our our graduate program called me nimble, meaning <laughs> I can work from A to Z. I can write questionnaires, I can program questionnaires, I can analyze data, I can write reports, I can present reports. So I'm very nimble with the research process. But I'm also a great partner with uh, research vendors. I've worked with many. Um, and when they take the lead, I give my viewpoints and my guidance, but when the project is theirs, they take the lead. So I have the ability to do a project and partner with research firms, as well as so, partnering with the marketing clients, client okay. partners. Um, awesome. And so what kind of role are you looking for? Is there a certain type of company or, or a certain role that you think you can really help a company with? Yeah, great question. I think my, I look for more of a contract. As I said, I've worked in many industries. I've worked in food and beverage. I've worked in retail. I've worked in healthcare. I'm working in healthcare. I've worked in automotive. So I've done a lot of industry work and that focus has been on the customer experience side. So a lot of VOC projects and I've also done both B2C and B2B. So I'm nimble to work in most arenas. Okay. I think that, um, that's a lot of broad experience, so that that's amazing. Not many people can say that they that's that's so broad. That's awesome. Yeah, I I've been fortunate to work for and with some great companies to have that um, type of experience. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, let's get to know you a little bit better. Um, beyond your time at Georgia, let's let's ask you a few personal questions. Um, okay. First question is some of your hobbies. How what do you do kind of for fun? Yeah. Well, I you know I've been going to sound funny, but doing a lot of dance in the house, you know, we're all <laughs> staying put, staying stable. And I was actually watching um, Jimmy Fallon and there's a DJ on Instagram. I think his name is D nice. And so I checked him out. He has some great tunes. And so I'm like, Oh, let me dance in the house to this. It was really great. Stuff from the eighties, seventies. It's really fun. Is that is that like a normal hobby or is that just one of those weird things you've done under a quarantine, which is my next question? Uh, yeah, I think, well, I took dance in um, high school. So it's some, I guess it was like rebirthing something I've, I've did in the past. Yes. And I said, oh, well, why not? Why not? Yeah, I think all the time, which is hard. I love sports. And yeah. so I, I heard about the... Michael Jordan documentary. I need to see that. I haven't done that yet. And I know sports fans are saying, Oh, what have you done? You're two, two days behind. I know. Let me tell you, Lita, 
I, I knew every I'm a huge sports fan also, and I yeah. wasn't looking forward to it as much as I think everybody else was. But okay. I watched it, yeah. and it is unbelievable. It mm. is. I don't. Brian, producer Brian, did you have you watched the Michael Jordan thing yet? I have not yet. No. Oh my gosh, it's it's worth watching it because. It's unbelievable the access they got. You get to see Michael Jordan um, just yelling at other players and talking wow. smack to the general manager, and you get to see him oh. in Europe and interacting with fans. It's just it's unbelievable. I can't wait to watch the next episode. Okay. Well, you've convinced me. I've, I've got to watch. I, I just think I'm afraid to say this on, on radio. I wasn't a Michael Jordan fan. I mean, I respect yeah. his work ethic. He is, yeah. he is definitely GOAT. Greatest of all time. <laughs> I will give him that. But yeah, I I was not um, Chicago Bill. That's okay. Not everybody is. Yeah. Let's move on to our next question. Um, yeah. What's your biggest source of pride or your biggest accomplishment? This can be either personal or professional. Okay, sure. I think working on that um, set of stores in Manhattan when I worked in the Home Depot was one of the greatest. Um, actually, the project was noted in the New York Times and the project manager noted the research we did to help them build these magnificent stores. So that's just something that I can say is like, wow, my work is in print. Yeah. My name's not, but you know, it's all about the project and it's all about the success of what yep. it brought, brought to customers. That's awesome. And I, and as for myself, those occasions when you kind of were part of something that was introduced to the market or you see an ad or you see a new product benefit, those are special to me. I couldn't even imagine like an entire store in Manhattan. That's got to be awesome. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Next question. Um, what's something that may be interesting about yourself that would surprise people that you have a hidden talent? Oh, wow. A hidden talent. Well, I think the whole thing about dancing, I mean, yeah, uh, I did dance for 10 years. Um, I did tap, jazz, and ballet. Um, I wasn't to the stage that a lot of kids are today. We're doing the tours and the competitions. We didn't yeah. do that in my small town, but um, just to be able to, to dance and to do recitals. Got it. Well, Lena, thanks for joining. How, If people want to get a hold of you, I'm assuming they can reach you on LinkedIn, but what are some other ways that if people want to reach you if they um, have a question or interested in maybe some contract work? How can I get a hold of you? Right. Then I'll just my name. Um, my email is my name. So lolita.hines at gmail.com for any questions or any project suggestions that anyone has. I love to be a part of the great things they're trying to bring to the market on the business side and on, on the B2B side and the B2B. Awesome. It's it's great catching up with you. Um, I've always been a fan of yours. And um, oh. I guess this has been, is it 20 year anniversary of our graduation? It's been almost exactly 20 years since we graduated, which is kind of crazy. And so it's good thank to kind of catch up and um, yeah. wishing you all the best, Alita. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Glad to catch right. up with you too. Thanks. Take care. Uh, thank you to Alita for joining the podcast. Um, I've known her for a long time. It's really cool getting to you know, interview her and talk to her about what she's been up to the last 20 years. I think that she's been in research for, you talked, you heard her say it for over 20 years. And so if you're looking for someone, reach out to her. She's in the Atlanta area and obviously she can have clients anywhere. Um, and thanks for Andrew DeSellis for joining us and Brian Peterson. Thanks to you and um, everybody have a great week. Thank you.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.